let's pray. So God, we approach your heavenly throne full of grace and mercy, reminded of your, your faithfulness this morning. Even in the mountains and the valleys of our lives, the hurts and the celebrations, God, you have been faithful. Lord, I lift up those this morning that are not able to attend because of sickness or health or whatever it might be that you give them their daily bread, that they're able to worship you where they're at. And Lord, for those under the sound of my voice, I pray that for receptive hearts, hearts willing to accept your word, accept your truth for what it is, putting our opinions aside, because we, we all know, those of us that have truly profess Christ as our Savior, that it's the truth that sets us free. God, of course, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as you have commanded us to do. And Lord, we continue to ask collectively that you use each one of us that are followers of you to, to glorify you wherever it might be, whether it's the marketplace or in ministry, in our family, with our friends. Lord, as the days and the culture continues to, continues to seek after you, give us the ability and the boldness to point them to you. Lord, of course, we say that we love you. God, use me this morning. Allow me to become less so that you could become more. If these notes on this paper aren't what you want to say, then have your way. And Lord, we love you. We are so thankful for who you are to us. You're so, so loving, so kind, and so unique to the in the way that you show it to us, but yet you're so consistently good. God, it's in your son, Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Community Church. You beat the snow. You know, you, down in Florida, it, it even gets the slightest bit of rain, and people don't leave their houses, so you're four steps ahead of us, which is awesome. Uh, it, I'm glad to see you. I'm very glad that you're here, uh, and we have an incredible uh, month ahead of us as we, as we get into the Advent season next week. Uh, now, now, because of the, the season that we're in, you know that we, we're journeying through the book of First Peter, and uh, I was up in the air between continuing in our study, getting into 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, but the Lord pressed on my heart that we're going to go a different route this morning. We're going to talk about giving. Stay here, stay here. Okay, I, 1 Peter chapter 3, I was like, okay, do we continue talking about wives submitting to their husbands in the middle of the Thanksgiving season, or do we talk about giving? So we're going to go that route this morning, and and, I, you know, let me tell you, with, with all that, that's going on in the world, I'd, I'd love to spend each week equipping you uh, to take on the world for the sake of the gospel, but, but today we need to really talk about the, the essential role that giving plays in the life of the believer. Now, now some of you are here for your first time, and you're, and you're looking at your friend or, or your spouse, and you're saying, here we go. Just another church asking for money. This is the last time we're going to come here. This church is just like all the other ones. Well, 
That's why I want to share my heart in this area. There's a, there's a lot of myths in the area of godly giving, and I, and I want to address these and tackle these this morning. Too many times do we hear churches preach and teach a, a legalistic model of giving where you're only accepted and welcomed if you write a check every week, and, and the week that you don't give, you receive a call from your deacon, and, and then they hound on you for not financially contributing, and it becomes this whole ordeal, this whole fiasco, and, and it's really, that's ungodly and that's selfish. But then there's the other side where giving is not taught at all. And the donations, listen to this, fall on the church of just a select few wealthy members, then giving them the authority to make decisions because the income is based solely on them. This then gives them the power in the church, and, and each decision that is made is based on whether or not these high rollers give, because if they were to stop giving, there's not enough members that are giving to make up for the loss if this person was to stop. So you see that line in between, the balance? Let us be a church that, that breaks the mold of financial donations, each of us contributing to the needs of the church, because that's biblical. Now, I don't, I don't know who gives to this church. I didn't know who gave to the last church that I was at. I don't know how much each person gives, and I don't wish to change that. My job is not to raise funds, hear this, it's to make disciples. Now, some of you veterans of the faith are you're saying, no, Ryan, you are to raise funds because we need them to grow. I understand that. But if my purpose is to raise funds, there are many other avenues to do that that are outside of the church. And, that, and if you start going to the government for your funds, then the government starts having reach in, in their hand in what you teach and how you do it. So we don't want to go that route. Now, my purpose is to make disciples that have generous hearts and hearts that want to see the church and its needs thrive, so they willingly give with no strings attached out of hearts of worship and to glorify Christ. We're going to be jumping around in our text for this morning. Uh, our home passage is going to be Matthew 22, uh, verses 15 through 22. It's my personal favorite passage in the, as we relate to finances. Um, and if you want to turn there, please feel free to do so. As usual, there's a Bible in the back of the seat in front of you. It's going to be the same version as to what I will be using. Uh, Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Uh, as I said, it's probably my favorite passage uh, as it relates to giving and finances throughout the church. No one has gotten up and left yet. Praise God. Matthew 22, 15 through 22. I'm going to read through the entire passage. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, him referring to Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. 
Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So here we go again. The ministry of Jesus, if you spend any time studying it, he's always cornered by the Pharisees. And, and what they're trying to do here, here is they're either trying to have Jesus to admit that they do not have to submit to their governing authority by paying taxes, or that they should pay taxes and, and therefore fund immoral decisions that the government is making. They try to notice this. They try to sway Jesus by, by talking him up. They would say, you're such a good teacher. You really are true to Scripture, and you don't care what people think. What a good person you are. They're trying to flatter him. But then they'd so gently slip in the question, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And of course, Jesus answers in a beautiful way, which I absolutely adore. He had this thing about mic drops. The first thing he says is this, why put me to test, you hypocrites? Man, if this, if this passage, if this encourages you to do anything, let it also be that you have the freedom to call out the sinner for what he or she does and says. Jesus looks at a group of Pharisees right in the eye and says, you hypocrites. And all throughout his ministry, he looks the enemy in the eye and refers to them as a list of things like brood of vipers, dogs, pigs. You see, Jesus never backed down to those who promoted evil, and neither should we. When this current administration raises taxes, when they promise to lower them, we call them liars. When he claims themselves to be a professor, when he claims himself referring to the president to be a professing Catholic, yet pushes more legal acceptance of abortion nationwide, we call him a hypocrite. You see, sin is sin, and our lack of standing up to it just makes it worse, but I'm not going to get us off track. The point is this. Jesus is trying to make, the point that Jesus is trying to make here is this. We are to pay our taxes. We are to pay our taxes. Too often I I have heard this verse used almost as, as an excuse as to why we don't need to give our resources to the work of the ministry. You'll hear things like, well, well, I want to give my obedience to Christ, not my money. Or, or Jesus is telling us to pay our taxes to the government, but not give my finances to him. You see, what Jesus is saying is that you pay your taxes and give the, these earthly authorities what they want, but you give your heart your mind, and your soul to Christ. Because that's what he wants to begin with. It's so easy to argue this, and trust me, I, I have a hard time with it too. You, you hear that you are to give you, to Caesar what is Caesar's and, and give to God what is God's, and then you say, well, but, but Caesar, Caesar's trying to fund abortion clinics with federal tax dollars, or, or, or that he's sending billions of dollars to terrorist organizations overseas or, or communist-led nations, or, or he's embezzling funds to his relatives. I don't want to pay my taxes if that's where my money's going to go. But Christ didn't say to give out an, of an angry heart. 
He said to give out of an obedient heart. You are to give to the man on the earthly throne the finances that he desires. But you're to build up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where earth, rust, where, where moth and rust can't destroy, thieves cannot steal. That's what Christ desires. So, so what I did here for us this morning, I want to keep your attention, is I came up with five myths, five myths, M-Y-T-H-S, that have become so common as it relates to giving within the church. Now, I'm going to need your help here. When I say myth number one, I want you to say back, what is it? So we're going to go like this. Myth number one. Okay, good. Now, these are going to help to answer so, so many questions that those that are skeptic of, of giving have, and, and, I, and I very much understand this skepticism, but it's also going to put to end in hurt that has been had by so many in the past. Right? I feel like every person that's been walking with the Lord has been or knows somebody that has been hurt financially because of the church. We're going to squash some of those bugs today. So myth number one, giving to the church only benefits the church that I give to. It's a myth. Giving to the church only benefits the church that I give to. It's a myth. Unfortunately, this is true all too often, and even for the right reason. A church has a desire to pay their pastor so that he can support himself and and be able to shepherd his congregation, but the amount of money that was brought in is really only enough to do that, to support the pastor and keep the lights on and, Lord willing, the heat here in Lowell. But listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. This is the Apostle Paul. Paul's telling them that, that he needs them to pool their money together so that he can receive these finances to continue the work of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Could you imagine if that was a letter written to the church today? the debate and the division that would happen. But the fruit of this ministry that was funded by this church in Corinth is actually still visible to us today. Now, too often I, I hear from skeptics that, that they don't like to give their money to the church because they believe the church doesn't handle the money well or they simply don't trust the leadership with the finances, and, and rightfully so. It's not uncommon to see embezzlement and fraud within the church. I'm sure we can all think of a time we've seen it. But my argument to that would be, you sure don't have an issue trusting major corporations and retailers with the funds you give them. Target sells LGBTQ apparel to toddlers and infants, yet we still shop there. Starbucks funds abortion clinics, yet we get our coffee from there multiple times a week. You're saying, Ryan, there's no way you don't go to Target. You're a pastor, of course you drink Starbucks coffee. You know, when my wife came to me and said, I'm no longer going to Target, I, my mind was blown. Some of, you, some of you spouses are here and you say, man, Target is like, that's where it's at. You get your decorations, you get your clothes, you get everything. My wife said, I'm not going there no more. 
once they started releasing this clothing line. And when she says that, you know you've struck a chord. <laughs> when my wife doesn't want to go to Target anymore. You, you... But you see, when the, when the entire congregation is all in for the sake of the Great Commission, that's when you see real change. Now, let me, let me read to you. This is groundbreaking. Let me read to you what would happen around the globe if every evangelical Christian gave 10% of their income. 10% you're saved. Give me a chance. I'll elaborate on that 10% here in just a few minutes. But if every evangelical Christian gave 10% of their income to the church, there would be a combined $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. This is a study that was conducted. This isn't my math. $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. How could this money be used? Listen. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than $1 a day. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. And $100 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. You see how it could impact the global church if every Christian was to give. So when you hear that, I must say that you're right. Giving to the church does benefit the church that you give to. But if it's done properly, it also benefits the global church and gives us the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Myth number two. Giving to the church allows the giver to become wealthy. Giving to the church allows the giver to become wealthy. You know, I believe we've gone full circle with this whole prosperity gospel thing. We've been so accustomed to the <clears throat> insulting and disappointing teachings of, of false teachers like Joel Osteen and, and Kenneth Copeland and the like that, that we believe that we are not to receive anything back in return for our offerings. This is partially true. You see, the problem that lies here is that God does want us to prosper. Give me a chance. He says it numerous times throughout his word, both the Old and New Testament. Now, it's the definition of prosperity that we're getting confused. 3 John 1 verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You see, God makes it clear that if you give with joy, you will be given in return. But we just can't let this be the reason, and this, this, we can't let this dictate why we give. The minute that we begin to give to get back in return is the minute that we lose the point of why we give. God does want us to prosper, but it's not necessarily in our finances that he wants us to prosper in. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You know it. 
Myth number three. Tithing is a requirement of the New Testament. Ooh, step on some toes. Tithing is a requirement of the New Testament. This one stepped on toes. I know that. Many, many have grown up believing and hearing that the Bible teaches that every Christian needs to give 10% of their income and whatever they bring in. The term tithing actually comes from the Old Testament law in which the Israelites were to give 10% of their crops to the temple or the tabernacle. This was then often used as a form of taxation that was to help provide for the priests of the temple as well as the funding of the entire sacrificial system. And actually, there was about multiple different tithes that were required, one for the Levites, one for the temple use and the feasts, and one for the poor of the land. Of course, none of these really apply for the church today. So you're hearing this and you're saying, ha, I knew I didn't need to give my money to the church. Man, let me tell you, Hope Community Church is, is the place where it's at. I don't have to give it all. Well, wait. There's more. I like that. Let's look back at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, where Paul writes, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. The Apostle Paul is saying that your giving is to be consistent with your income. There are seasons to give generously, and there are seasons to be much more frugal. My family and I have, have definitely been here, and I'm sure most of you have been as well. It really wasn't long ago I'm going to be really transparent with you all this morning. I was working two jobs, supporting my family, and, and we were being just about as frugal as you could possibly be. My, my bride, she was, she was doing everything that she could to bring in money here and there and, and bring in whatever she could. We were giving our 10% to the church to be generous, just like what was told for us to do. And each month, we're watching our savings go down and down and down to the point where we had a bill in one hand and a tithe envelope in the other. And after doing this week after week, scraping the bottom of the barrel, I was convicted by 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worth less than an unbeliever. This forced us and our family to, to take a step back we were barely able to afford groceries, and my wife, my mentor, and myself agreed that we could no longer give to the church. You're saying, what? A pastor not giving to the church? My friend, we're taught to take care of our family above everything else, but we are told to provide for the needs of the church as well. It was ultimately this season that, that the Lord, again, he uses your finances, and he did it this season of our lives, where he uses it to give us a different perspective on where we are in terms of our career, and, and that we needed to make a change, which we did, and he forced us into a corner so that we had nowhere to look but up to see that the change that was needed. And I want to say this, I know that all throughout Scripture, we have seen God provide time and time again. Friend, if there is a, a bill in one hand 
that you're debating to pay to keep the heat on or to keep groceries on your kitchen table. Or there's a, a person that's forcing you to give to the church. You've got to support your family. Or if you barely have enough food in the fridge for dinner, pay your bills, man. Because yes, he will provide, and he has time and time again, but he also doesn't want you to put him to the test. Sometimes you've got to see if he's moving you around. Now for, now, for those of you that are not able to give, but you're able to afford a $400 car payment, $7 Dunkin' coffee every single day of the week, a, a subscription to every streaming service known to mankind, you go out to eat every day, maybe it's time to take another look at your budget. And I'm going to tell you that if that's something you're interested in, there are some godly men and women here at Hope Church that would be more than happy to sit down with you and rework your budget so that you can make it work. Hope's an awesome place to, to get you in step with the Spirit of God. Myth number four. Giving allows me to have authority in the church. Giving allows me to have authority in the church. It's a myth. This one is very exhausting to church leaders. It impacts the entire church in a way that stunts growth, creates cliques, and strips Christ of the glory. I was trying to, to find a passage of scripture that mentions a, a person that gives and, and how they are then given more authority within the church because they do. And you know what? I couldn't find one. Instead, we look at 1 Peter 5, verse 6, that says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he will exalt you. Instead of seeking a position of authority or having our voices heard because of our giving, we are to seek first the kingdom of God. No matter where you go, there's always that small group of people that the Lord has blessed with resources beyond compare. And, and I love it when the Lord does this because he also creates in them generous hearts. And they, and they love to give these resources to the church to watch it support the advancement of the gospel in their local community. But as a pastor, there, this sometimes comes down the pipeline with a lot of strings attached. You'll get a call, hey, pastor. I want to donate such and such money to the church, but I only want to donate it if it goes to this cause. Now, don't get me wrong. This is absolutely integral to the advancement of many ministries, and I have personally seen ministries grow, flourish, expand, all because of people that are saying, I want to see this ministry grow. I'm all in. I'm on board. This is where I want my money to go, and man, it it does wonders. The Lord blesses that beyond compare. But once you begin to overlook the ministry and put your faith in the donor instead of the provider, the church gets political and off mission. So you're saying, what's the best way around this? Well, I want to reiterate here at Hope, I don't know who gives, and I don't know how much they give, and I don't want to change that. This gives me the freedom to avoid the strings that are attached and give the church a level playing field. And I, I don't like the number part anyway. We're going to wrap this part up. Myth number five. <laughs> Giving is only limited to finances. 
Giving is only limited to finances. This brings us right back to Matthew 22, where Jesus is more concerned with your heart. Because I want to tell you this. If he has your heart, he has your wallet also. The best way that I like to summarize what a Christian has to offer is time, talent, and treasure. A Christian can give time, meaning that they are completely open-handed with what they can do for the church. You need administrative help with filing documents. There they are. You need help on an outreach team. They show up. You simply need help cleaning or organizing the church. They're the first on the list. Friend, let me tell you how much of a blessing these people are to the church. They come all in, ready to serve Christ wherever they're needed. They, they don't have strings attached. They don't have an agenda. They seldom complain. They just say, I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Where can you use me? Others fall in the category of talent. They may not have the time to give where they can be wherever and whenever you need them, but they are gifted in certain areas. I think of our buildings and grounds crew, Austin. You have people who are, are gifted with construction and, and electric work, and they're able to serve the church behind the scenes, knowing that they can use their abilities and their knowledge, and they're the reason that really this church keeps functioning, and that the church is in good shape, and that the place isn't falling down, and the lights are on, and the floor is vacuumed. You don't even know what's happening. And then finally, you have treasure. These are the people that God has blessed in the marketplace with either a successful business or a fruitful career, where they have finances and resources that God has trusted, entrusted them with, and he has also given them a generous heart. They're usually not able to give much of their time to the church, but they know that God has called them to the corporate world or the business world where their way of contributing needs finances. And, and none, of these, none of these areas are wrong, and, and, they, and they really show a beautiful picture of the way that God uses and wires each one of us differently and distributes his gifting to believers in, in such a diverse way that without just one of these, the church would not be what it is today. Each of them plays such an equal role in the church. Just because you have time, but maybe not as much money, doesn't mean that you don't contribute. It doesn't mean that you're not valuable in the sight of God. The point is this. Giving is not limited to finances, but out of the posture that all that God has given us is his, and we are to give back to him by serving loving, and providing for his people. Now, as we talk about giving, as hard as it is to accept, <clears throat> it's really an important part of the Christian life, and it's essentially giving back to God what he has entrusted his followers with. But what we must mention here, and what God has really pressed on my heart that I wouldn't be able to move on past this message without going here is that we are going to need all-in followers of Christ as we continue to grow. 
God has, has given me an, this incredible vision for, for the future of Hope Community Church in the upcoming years from, from what he's going to do here at our church and, and what he's going to do out in the community and how he's going to draw more and more people in to hear the truth of the gospel and, and the way that it impacts lives. And, and I'm going to present what this vision looks like more clearly in the beginning of the year. But there's absolutely no way to avoid the fact that it's going to take your giving to make this possible. Whether it's your time, your talent, or your treasure. I believe that all of us that are here right now and today are, are really at the foundational level of what hope is, is going to become down the road. And he's allowing all of us in on something that is huge in terms of kingdom impact. So my prayer for you in the upcoming days, weeks, months, and years as you continue to join hope in this mission of bringing the truth of the gospel to our community and beyond, that you ask, Lord, how can you use me? Maybe you're saying, I don't, I don't have the finances to give. I, don't, I, I can give, but I, I feel like it doesn't make much of a difference. Man, there are so many areas throughout Hope Community Church where you can play an essential role in the growth of the kingdom of God. Let that be on your heart this Christmas season. How can I serve God with what I have? Let's pray. So God, as we steward well what you have given us, whether it's time, talent, or treasure, Lord, I pray that you give us the wisdom as to how we can make a kingdom impact with what we have. Lord, we're really just giving it back to you because it's you that give it to us. It's a blessing. And God, as you continue to bring clarity with where Hope Community Church is going, that you press on the hearts of your people to join in on this mission. That it's the truth, that it's your word that changes lives. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. No matter what the world will tell us, no matter the ideologies or philosophies that are in the world today, Lord, you are the truth. And we're grateful for that. And Lord, ultimately, we say thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live a perfect life and to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, but, but not just dying, rising again three days later so that through faith in him, we can have eternal life. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.